What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 57 of the Triage Method podcast. This week, once again, Paddy Farrell is missing and he has been replaced with another guest. So this week, I am here with Dr. Mary O'Keefe, and we're going to be talking a little bit about back pain, pain in general, different things around pain and injury and, and stuff that will be definitely of relevance to you guys. So two podcasts ago, we talked a lot about you know, some of the things that are done in, in physiotherapy. We talked about manual therapy. We talked a little bit about pain. And we talk, we touched on a lot of different things in that area. So this week, we want to get an actual expert on and not just have myself and Paddy, like two dumb personal trainers talking about this stuff. So we've got the expert. We've got Mary here. So if you want to introduce yourself, Mary, and let people know, like, who you are, why they should listen to you, tell them about the letters after your name, all that sort of <laughs> stuff, that'd be that'd be great. Uh, thanks, Gary, for having me on the podcast. So I'm a physiotherapist. So I did physiotherapy in the University of Limerick. I immediately went into a PhD afterwards, much to do with some of the things we'll talk about today. So much of the things I thought were true about back pain before I became a student turned out not to be true at all once I actually did physiotherapy. So I did a PhD in the University of Limerick in the area of chronic low back pain. And now I'm doing a postdoc. I'm based in the University of Sydney, which is just doing extra research after your PhD. So I have two years there on a fellowship and one year back in Ireland. So I'll be coming back to Ireland next year. So most of my research focuses around back pain, misconceptions around back pain. How do we get better treatments for back pain? And probably something I'm getting more into is how do the media portray messages around certain treatments for lots of different conditions, including back pain. So yeah, a lot of it would be maybe trying to improve maybe the public's understanding or giving the public better education about back pain and other conditions. Super stuff. Um, so yeah, for the listeners as well, uh, funnily enough, Mary was actually one of my educators in college as well. So um, we're, we're getting back around that circle. And the other like thing that I want to admit, for like one hour, huh? for like, for like one hour, you actually did, you were, you were my practical examiner as well for, oh, I think it was, right, the I it was the shoulder and I did the, the exercise that we call the porn star. You were like, <laughs> you know, could you give me an exercise that would train the rotator cuff or whatever? Um, and I did the, the side lying external rotation, some call it, but I called it the porn star exercise. Um, yeah. but yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to mention to you guys is that you may have actually already read some of mary's work without knowing about it because like mary's had some like quite proliferant publications not just not not in the just in the research world but more re relevant to you guys in the public uh in like newspapers and and different kind of posters and infographics that have actually been you know around physiotherapy departments around the country i've seen them um and also you know on social media and stuff like that so you may have come across that sort of stuff already like you published a an article last year, Mary, was it, or the year before, about the 10 common myths about back pain. Is that right? Or was yeah, that different? Yeah, that's right. It started, yeah. um, how, they, how I first started writing for the media is I was working as a physiotherapist and I used to come home in the evenings just so frustrated with the stuff I'd hear in terms of what people were told about back pain and how hard that was to change once a person is, you know, given a belief by somebody else that it's hard to reverse. So yeah, I contacted the Irish Independent and <laughs> for that reason and asked, could I write a piece? So that was the first piece. That was the 15 things piece. And then mm -hmm. the following year, I followed up, yeah, and did the, the the 10 things piece. And yeah, since then, the, you know, the Irish Independent have been good at, you know, allowing me to write for the paper. But it's interesting then, it's just, and we'll get onto this, 
you know, the next week you could see some other article that goes the opposite of what what you just in the same paper. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, but it's been good to get the messages out in the media. But the only thing is sometimes, you know, they'll get a good response. But other times some of the messages might be taken as offensive or Mm -hmm. they come across in the wrong way because if people already have a strong belief system around back pain and they just see this article that's that it's probably maybe quite direct in what it's saying that sometimes it can yes. be hard to get that nuance across in a newspaper and particularly sure. when you know an editor might give it a really you know dramatic title you know everything you know about that thing is wrong that was that was one title yeah and it's like that can really like annoy people as well but but that's interesting you need to get the messages out there but it's how do you best frame them and put them across in a way that they'll be taken up is, is a different thing. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things as well is like to ask that question of like, why do the public believe what they believe? Because very often I think some of us like who might be a little bit more in the know about back pain, it's easy to kind of sit on an ivory tower and say, Oh, you know, people in the public are so stupid and all this, but like, clearly that's not the case. Like clearly the, I would say probably the, the one of the primary root causes here is the fact that a lot of healthcare professionals, doctors, physiotherapists, other types of therapists wouldn't wouldn't necessarily agree with the sort of stuff um, that that would be in in your messaging in terms of the evidence based perspective. Like a lot of people, like actual professionals, wouldn't necessarily be saying those types of things and would be actually propagating those older more old school incorrect beliefs about back pain so like i always like to make that point to people that it's it's not about always blaming the individual and the public it's also about saying all right like there has to be some professional accountability here so that's something that i find interesting you may or may not agree (laughs) no i agree totally and i think yeah that's how it can come across sometimes is that you're you're trying to say the public should know this but really the public shouldn't know this because that's what they've been led to believe in like you like you said that I think health professionals have you know a lot to answer for when it comes to the messages that have been spread around back pain because I guess a lot of the beliefs we have about back pain a lot of the beliefs around what causes back pain or what might improve it how they first originated was from people that used to treat back pain in their clinics whether it be a physio or a chiropractor or whatever other healthcare professional and because they were seen as experts in the field or gurus or leaders, they might write about what they've seen in the clinic. And then what they've, what they've seen or what they've said is then taken as gospel. But the problem with that is it's never been tested. So it's never been, I guess, subjected to a fair test, like in a scientific trial or researched over time. And I guess for me, I had a lot of those beliefs before starting physio. And even much mm-hmm. of the time, probably into physio. But when you actually read the the literature or read what has been looked at in back pain, you just see a lot of the stuff that we've been taught isn't really true at all. And I remember a really famous researcher in the in the US. He puts it nicely. He says, like, for back pain, opinions are strongest where the evidence is weakest. And I think that sums <laughs> it up a lot. That a lot of the things that are you know, shouted very loudly when you look at them, they're not really backed up. And sometimes what I encourage people to do is if you look at like a criminal jury where you decide if someone is guilty or not guilty, we need to do that when it comes to causes of pain or treatments. It's like, is this treatment effective or ineffective? 
or is this a cause or not? And to do that, you need to, you know, a jury is there and they need to go through all the evidence. You know, there needs to be a way of, there needs to be evidence to back up your claim. And for many of the the beliefs that we'll be talking about, the evidence is just not there. And, and when it's been put forward and tested, it's been, you know, substantially undermined by by the by the science or just not found to be to be evidence based. But the problem is once these messages get out there, they're very hard to to stop, you know. And when everything is based around, you know, when treatments are based around this, when the media is based around this, yeah, it's it, it's very hard. So it's not not people's fault at all, but it's just trying to, I guess, help them now to maybe be better assess some of the stuff they hear in the hope that they can kind of get a better way to understand their pain. For sure, for sure. And it is it is indeed a difficult problem that has, you know, multiple levels to it. And, and the ultimate outcome yeah. is these sort of false explanations that we have for very common problems, because very clearly, like back pain is a is an issue. It's a worldwide issue. It is very, like incredibly prevalent. And with that in mind, like it, it's very easy to come to the conclusion that, oh, there must be one simple explanation that 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 is that is the problem. And I think one of the things you want to get across in this episode is like, what sort of things might be the common myths that personal trainers or trainees that are going to the gym every day or they're interested in fitness, like what they might be exposed to? Because I think like depending on where you go, you might get different explanations for why someone may or may not have back pain. And I yeah. think in the personal training world, in the fitness world a lot of them are going to be very biomechanically um, biased. So they're going to be things like oh, when you put certain forces on the back or if you do an exercise like this or if you were to, if there was a, a disc out of, out, of, out of place or whatever, you know, we have all these different explanations. Yeah. People, are misal people are misaligned, it's their posture, it's yeah. muscle imbalances. So without digging into every single one of those, what do you think are the, are the common misconceptions that that someone that someone might believe today about their back pain? Yeah, so maybe for the, the this is just not for gym goers, but just across the board. Yes. The, the first one would be that when you have back pain, it's always related to an injury, or that something is yeah something is badly injured, or there's a serious condition going on in your your structures in the back. So that that would be the main one. So the first would probably center around the back just being a weak structure so that it needs to be in a certain posture you know we shouldn't be bending it it should be kept straight all the time the other one is the fact that things move in out in and out of place which we don't which just doesn't happen it, it, it's like an unfortunate medical term that something like slip disc has been used to explain back pain which you can see in people's minds, they think it's something like, you know, the game Jenga, where something moves and something <laughs> falls out. Like, that doesn't happen for, for for back pain. And we can talk a bit more about that. And the, the, the other thing is that once you get pain, that you need to, the other idea is that you need to then, you know, stop what you're doing or change what you're doing or avoid movement until it gets better. So there's a lot of these misconceptions around the back is something like glass, that it's very fragile and vulnerable, and we need to take all these steps to, you know, protect it and wrap it in cotton wool, for lack of a better, better word. So maybe if we break down each one of those beliefs with yeah. injury, maybe that would be a good idea. That's perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing is when people 
let's say people are in the gym and they they bend over or they do some movement and they feel something really sore in their back and it's you know it's it's often distressing it's very you know it's very painful and it does make people think that oh my god I'm after doing serious damage here what what we now see with back pain is the, the serious damage would only be common in maybe will be generous maybe three to four percent of cases probably more around one percent and when we think of things like that are really serious that need scans and need follow-up or things like you know if you've if there's reasons to believe you've you've cancer, weight loss, you know, changes in bladder and bowel function, a broken bone. In the gym when someone lifts something, that's not really what we what we expect. The other the other thing that people think that happens when, when they bend over is that something falls out of their back or something slips or becomes displaced. And I think some of some of the uncertainty here is because because people can't see their back so we depend a lot on you know um you know our visual system to kind of make up our minds about how dangerous something is or how safe we are the problem with the back is we can't see what's going on and when we're told that you know something falls out of place or if or if we feel that we're if we feel we're holding ourselves a bit different in response to pain people think that there's something after coming out of place so when when we look at that in the, the the trials, we don't see anything fall out of your back or nothing comes out of place. You know, your your joints, your discs, your ligaments, your pelvis, none of those are are, are, are coming out of place. I think I, I think that's um the first thing. The, yes. the Yeah. The the other thing is that when people bend or or lift or sit a particular way they think that's the reason that they get the pain because we always think that if something happened before the pain that has to be the reason for the pain so that's why a lot of things like posture or the way you move or the way you sat a minute ago or the position you lifted in those kind of things are often blamed for that episode of pain but again we we don't find that those postures or ways of lifting actually go on to be a source of, of pain in the back i think another thing is in the gym if you if you look at people that get sore after lifting let's say their their back gets tired after doing a deadlift or they're doing a squat and they feel a bit sore if those people look at how they what happens when they train another body part they probably experience soreness as well. So if they're, you know, doing a hamstring curl or they're doing bicep curls, you know, they're going for that burn, they're going for that pain and they're actually really happy about it. You know, they have this perception that, you know, I've really worked that muscle, pain is good, I've done a good job here. But if someone feels a twinge in their back, they immediately think they're after, you know, really injuring a structure. And I And, and I think... I think for gym goers, they need to look at, you know, why why are we treating the back different to how we treat another part of the body in the gym? So if someone, let's say, hurt their ankle in the gym, they might back off from that movement for a while just to let it settle. But they wouldn't go home then and wrap that ankle in cotton wool and not move it again or avoid activity, you know, for a considerable time after. They'd get back to doing what they would do. But for the back... When that happens, if people feel they've strained it or it gets tired or they've done a lift, the, the mind goes to a different thing. It's always perceived as, 
this is really damaging, this is really dangerous, and now I need to protect it. So more movement is bad, you know, I need to rest, and, you know, I probably shouldn't do this movement again. And we're just not seeing, you know, in the science that those movements, like, they can, you know, when you're in the gym, you know, you are right, something can trigger an episode of back pain. But actually saying that those things are inherently dangerous or bad for your back is a very different thing. And we're not seeing, you know, we're not seeing the actual, you know, the evidence for that. And I just think it's very interesting that people treat these body parts very differently, even though yeah, there isn't any reason for doing that. Yeah, I think it's incredibly interesting, especially because, because Jim, like, obviously this applies to everyone and we will bring, bring that back as well. But in, in terms of like, Gym gores, especially, I find it incredibly interesting because you have these, like, like to let's give you the stereotypical meathead. Like, you might have a guy who's very into powerlifting. He could be a hundred kilos. He appears to be this kind of tough, robust, like macho person. And yeah. you know, if they've got if they've got a sore chest or sore quads or sore glutes, it's like, yeah, pain is weakness leaving the body. <laughs> you know, it's that sort of stuff. It's like a trophy yeah, exactly. that I'm sore after the gym. But as soon as it's it's back pain after the gym. It's worrying. And I know, and I get messages like this all the time from people being like, oh, Gary, I did a deadlift session yesterday. My back's really sore today. What should I do? <clears throat> and I, and I'm, I'm always kind of saying that to people is like, if it was your quads, what, what would, what would you think that I'd say? You know, yeah, it would, it wouldn't be any different. It, w- it wouldn't be any different. And we see this in athletic populations all the time. Like just, just two weeks ago, we were working with a group of dancers, you know, getting them involved in strength training a little bit more. And although they were, fully aware that they were training their back when they were doing deadlifts and they were training their legs when they were doing other exercises the same group came in the following week and what they said to us was um like you know we were asking how are you after last week whatever and they were saying oh yeah you know my legs and my my glutes or my bone muscles or whatever they were sore like it was it was a good workout and all that and then they were like but there's just one thing um like my back was really was was sore the day after and it, it felt stiff like and they were really concerned yeah and I thought that was so. I thought that was so interesting because they were fully aware that that they had been training their back, yeah. and they were an athletic population. And um, so, if we if we see this happening in the athletic population, you can only imagine like how how like disconcerting this could be for someone in the general population because very often they haven't even been exposed to delayed onset muscle soreness before. Yeah. So even that would be a shock to the system. Yeah, so if you compound that then with back pain, like like that can be scary for people, and I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's because of that perception of the back. Like it's a societal mm-hmm. thing to this um, to, at this stage that you know any pain in the back is due to some you know really structural problem. There's huge damage there, and you know you now shouldn't do that thing. You know, so like definitely people will get back pain when they do activities that use their back in the same way as when you do a leg extension machine exercise. You, you know the pain will be in the quad area if you're tired after that but for your back the activities you do with your back are things like bending twisting lifting you know so you know if you do them maybe in an unaccustomed manner or if you're doing more than you know if you're doing an exercise in the gym it would make sense that you know you might get some discomfort after doing some of those exercises but the, the but the actual idea that that these activities are actually dangerous. It would be like saying a leg extension is a dangerous is dangerous for your quad. It's just a different kind of people think about it differently, and it's because of that whole 
idea that has been spread about back pain that if you get pain, there must be something really wrong. Yeah, and I suppose it it, it, it leads on to even further issues then because like the way I look at that, like you could look at that as, as an isolated problem in terms of saying that, oh, you know, people are concerned that their backs are sore um, afterwards. That's just an isolated worry. Um, we needn't worry about that. But it actually brings us on to like some of the the wider things to to think about here because we're not just talk, we're not we're not saying that that is bad because you your beliefs are wrong because obviously people have negative beliefs or incorrect beliefs about lots of things in life and they live a good fruitful health, healthy life and that's absolutely fine yeah. but in this case what ends what can happen is the fact that your incorrect beliefs modify the way you think which modify your behaviors which which together can then modify the actual pain experience and even yeah. the potential for their for 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 imp- improvement or recovery after that. So, like that's where I see this becoming problematic. Would you agree with that sort of assessment? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So, you know, you're in the gym. You you know you you get some back pain. It's really distressing. It's really painful, and it is like that's a real experience. It, it is that way. But then, you know, and another thing we use, just to emphasize that, we use our visual system a lot. So I might get on to how gym goers might be able to, I don't know, reassure themselves by using even a mirror or a video or something, showing them that there isn't something out of place. But anyway, there's that uncertainty there with the back. So if we have these beliefs that the back is inherently weak, um, there's something going to go out of place or that they have poor posture or something like that, we're immediately kind of saying, oh, my God, now I'm stuffed you know, I've, I have this pain, I'll get it again, unless I get it checked out, or I do something about it. And the problem here is, we know that expectations around improvement are very important for recovery. So if you think you, you won't improve, there's a good chance you won't improve. Because we have to remember that pain, while it can be, you know, while movement and all of these things are, are linked with it, it's also, pain is ultimately a mix of all of these things so how you think about the pain how you think about the movement what you think is wrong is a bit like a volume button button on a tv all of these things kind of amplify your experience because at the end of the day you're trying to make the best decision for your health and if for some reason let's say in comparing this to the quad if you've done an exercise and you think that's brilliant for your quad and you have all this pain and it's great the that 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 value that meaning attached to it is different but for, for your back, if you're thinking the opposite, you know, that it's not going to be motivating to do that exercise again. But when we talk about, yeah, the downstream effects, so you're not expecting to get better. You, you know, you think that there's something really dangerous in your back, you know, as any human would, you know, you're going to, you know, put your guard up. You might protect yourself from certain movements. And this might not be even within your conscious awareness. You know, you'll just find maybe that you're avoiding certain movements more. And I think the sad thing with this is it's taken beyond the gym. So when people are, you know, tying their laces, bending over for something, turning in the bed, they just might be, you know, that bit more cautious. Okay, they're maybe having some stiffness. Maybe the pain isn't clearing as as, as quickly as, as they can. And again, this is mixed with thinking there's something wrong. Maybe maybe someone says then that, oh, yeah, um, you know, your your back is very damaged, actually. And, you know, you need to rest and you need, you shouldn't move. So then people start engaging in things that we know not to be helpful. So maybe resting more, avoiding activity, thinking they're not going to get better. So them, those things alone slow down your recovery. 
you're not getting better, someone might suggest, why don't you go for an MRI scan? You're sent for an MRI scan. Things will show up on an MRI scan. You know, it doesn't really matter what age you are. From 20 onwards, you'll see signs of aging in your scan. You know, it'll show up things like maybe like disc bulges or maybe some arthritic changes and those kind of things that are a bit like someone losing their hair or a bit of wrinkles in your face even starting you know early in life and those things then are blamed for a person's back pain and then it can go from 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 these things being blamed as the cause and then taking steps to actually you know protect the spine so in the gym what I would see commonly is maybe stopping people flexing their spine so you know when people should be doing you know a squat or whatever exercise that um that they should be lifting they doing they could be encouraged you know you don't do it all don't do it at all because it will be damaging or else do very light weights you know um that won't hurt your back and then people will start actually maybe even minding or kind of uh, the, the best term is wrapping their back in cotton wool so even before they do an exercise they're thinking oh this is bad this will be dangerous so already you know you're you're actually stiffening your back before doing any of these movements and then it can just like really take off i i, I don't know have much of your listeners ever gone on to get you know injections or surgery or avoided the gym because of back pain but it can really spiral because a lot of the things we're told to do can actually be the things that are most unhelpful when you have an episode of back pain. So it's a bit counterintuitive. The stuff, like while the back pain can be distressing and really painful, movement actually is good and actually believing you can recover from that and knowing that there is good recovery for back pain is 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 good. But then when people are told that you need to avoid, mind it, do this, do that, it can actually prolong their recovery. So it's just, it can just turn into a bit of a, a disaster, a real, you know, real spiral out of control, which could actually start by just reassuring a person at, at the first stage. I'll probably talk there for a while, sorry. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Um, and yeah, I think <clears throat> I think it's interesting, one of the things you alluded to there was, you know, you were talking about the the meaning and, and, and like the way people might interpret it and how you, how you go forward with it. And I think a good way of thinking about that is like, like genuinely asking yourself, like trying to de- delineate this, like when people have, when you're in pain, like ask yourself, like what is actually concerning or worrying you more? Like, is it that concern of what is wrong? What might go wrong? Yeah. Where I'm going to end up? Or is it actually the feeling or experience of percep or perception of pain? Because very often, like, I think, it's 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 probably more related to the former than it is the latter, especially in those gym goers. Because what you'll find with gym goers is they love pain. Like yeah, exactly. if they have if they have pain in their quads, if they have pain in their quads after a workout, you could you could probably ask them to rate it, um, which has its own issues. But you could ask them to rate it out of ten, and they might say, "Oh yeah, when I touch it, it's like an eight out of 10. And it's like, God, like that sounds like a lot of pain. But they're not bothered. It doesn't affect their life. They exactly, go to work yeah. and it's absolutely fine. Whereas, because there's no there's no interpretation of that being harmful, whereas that can happen in the beginner training. But then when we have that experience of back pain, someone might have a very, very subtle pain, um, but it's the actual, it's the meaning, the worry, the concern about the future that leads to that, that the, the, the negative experience, um, if you could say. And I think a lot of that comes as well. And you, you kind of mentioned it as well in terms of, 
actual social learning in terms of like, how have you learned your responses to pain and your interpretations of pain up to this point? Because if, if, if someone hurts their, their back in the gym, their immediate inclination might be to think about their grand oh, aunt exactly, yeah. who quote, quote, quote unquote, put her back out and then she was bed bound for 10 years. And you're immediately thinking, oh no, that's going to be me. And we often foster yeah. that. Healthcare professionals foster that. Personal trainers foster that by saying, like, if someone's not in pain now and they're doing something, th- this is this is my the phrase that always comes up that I that I see a lot is, you'll pay for that when yeah. you're older, or you'll be you'll be like me when yeah. you're older, you know. And I, I that that that's that's yeah. a problem. Uh, yeah, and I think it's interesting when it comes to gym gores. If you take the experience after, let's say spinning, or what's that bike that's really uh, what's that one? The, the assault, assault bike that people would be like getting sick out of breath you know really in a terrible state after that which on an everyday you know if that was an everyday person if that was an everyday experience and if you walked out of the bed in the morning and felt that way people would probably be calling an ambulance but when people can apply it to this is an exercise I'm doing this for my health and it's producing this experience like heart uh you know your heart rate goes up you feel sick which some people would say is that's always a negative, but you see again when it's applied to something that's when people see it as meaningful, that fear around those things go. But I think it's even sad in gym goers that they're made because of the perceptions around the back. The you know the the meaning they attach to back pain is just so different to yeah the courage and the attitudes you see when it comes to other parts of um, the body, but. And I and I think the issue here is as well is that like we're hardwired to make present, you know, decisions based on previous experiences. So, you know, if you had um if you were even, let's say, in school and you you know, you you had some, I don't know, education around, you know, you need to sit up straight and you need to hold your back in a particular position when you're doing this and that and you know, oh, a school bag is dangerous to have, or maybe you had a parent that had back pain that ended up with surgery and, you know, the parent gave you advice around your back, or you saw the experience of someone else with back pain or what you read in the media about someone, all of those feed into how you are going to deal with your experience of back pain. So I think that's the danger that comes from the the whole, the, the societal beliefs around back pain, that when somebody gets back pain, you're immediately thinking, I'm stuffed, you know, this is bad. This is, you know, you know, I'm going to pay for this or, you know, now I have a bad back for life um, type thing. So I, I, I think, I think then knowing how to, when you hear these claims, I think we'll get onto that soon, but knowing how to probably assess these claims, like how accurate is this? You know, where's the evidence that, you know, posture is bad or that lifting is inherently bad or the discs come out of place? If you know that a lot of these claims, like, I think sometimes maybe we're too trusting that when we hear people saying something outside, whether it be, and I've heard you and Paddy saying this, um, heard talking about this before, but, you know, we hear claims about diet or drinks or the best way to lose weight or the best way to gain strength. You know, we assume that, you know, we won't be told this information unless it's correct. But, you know, we probably need to develop a more of a skeptical attitude towards a lot of the things we're told. And things like posture, things going out of place, um, previous experiences that people have, you know, have have had. We have to see that 
they've probably acted in that way because of what they've been told by other people. And if we can free ourselves from that, particularly gym goers or whoever's listening to this podcast, you know, if we can, if we can know that a lot of the stuff we're told isn't actually based on a lot of, you know, good data, I think it leaves us in a very good position to deal with an episode of back pain when we'll get it again. Because I think that's the other thing to be aware of. Back pain is so commonplace that like up to 80, 90% of it of us will get an episode at, 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 at some point. So if you had to be preventing every episode of back pain, you know, that would be a lot of, you know, that would be a lot of the world that like that shows how, 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 how common it is. And the other thing that people aren't told is it is a real good natural history. So back pain gets better. So if you had an episode of back pain in the gym, let's say today, it's really painful. You know, in t- two weeks time, regardless of what you do, if, you know, regardless of what treatment you get, no treatment, it go- is going to get substantially better. And I think some of the messages that people are given interferes with that recovery because people are given all of these false messages that, you know, it's not going to get better. And even if we have a chat about treatments later on, you know, and about how they work, that'll be interesting as well. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting because I think like a lot a lot of the the public beliefs just in like in terms of diagnosis treatment how much uh, how much of a problem something is like pretty much like most of them are just wrong and i think like that's something that's yeah. useful to to think about but because like, I, I i i actually debate this a lot in my own head like like my baseline assumption about everything that i hear everything and that includes everything i'm taught i'm taught in college is yeah. that everything is wrong yeah Okay, so like that's 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 the canvas, and me and Paddy talk about that all all the time amongst ourselves. That my baseline canvas is everything is wrong, and I'm happier to not learn anything new today um, yeah, than to I, believe loads of things that yeah. are wrong. But and that's I think, a really diff- I think that's very ahead, valuable. I think if if everybody had that view, because I think that's the thing with back pain. I think while we mightn't have a, a huge knowledge of what's the exact driver of why people go on to have, let's say, persistent back pain. We know so much about what what things aren't helpful or what things are wrong. So if you to look at every theory for back pain and really distill down the evidence, you'd see, oh my God, we're just sitting here on very thin evidence for everything we believe in. So I think if people enter, you know, whether they're reading the media, whether they go on Instagram, whatever, if you enter with that like forensic lens that you're like, right, how true is this really? And, you know, how you know how much you know is this claim actually you know based on any good data i think we'd all be you know in a better place and and i think what's really needed whether it be around diet or back pain it needs to start earlier in life and there are groups that are doing this going into schools getting people you know critically thinking about claims about tests and treatments and whatever and i think if we get people early 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 when they're more malleable maybe that they can better assess these claims and, and you know, all of the stuff that they hear, that by the time they reach, you know, maybe adult age, they're more aware of these things, you know, and they're better able to call out things when they when they hear them. Because it's a bit like that game, what's it called? Is it whack-a-mole or whatever, that you feel like, you know, this new thing is coming up every day, yeah. particularly <laughs> since the way we receive news has changed. You know, there's no regulation around messages. People can put out any form of misinformation they want. There's loads of vested interest, conflicts of interest. It's like, we, we, you know, you can't educate people every time a message is put out because there'll always be a new fad, always a new cause, whatever. So it's like, probably going forward is how are people you know just set up to better 
you know, assess a claim. That's probably I'm probably going off the topic, but better assess a claim or a treatment that they hear about. No, you're fine. And if the listeners are interested in that now that we're on the topic, they should check out it's called the Informed Health Choices Project. It's ran between the uh, the Norwegian Institute of Public Health and the University of Oxford, where they're actually going into schools, even in Uganda, where misinformation has, you know, more dangerous consequences. And, you know, teaching people key concepts like kids, but also people, you know, adults as well, that how, you know, t- knowing key concepts when you hear a claim, read a claim, how can you, you know, assess it? So I think, you know, if the listeners want to check that out um they have some really nice resources that you can actually use right now to help us you know help you yeah see if a claim you know good or bad that's super that's super and we might link that in the description as well um but one of the things one of the things that i wrestle with right and this is a problem i'm gonna i'm gonna present see your thoughts on because i actually i don't know my i don't know my conclusion on this i don't know i haven't thought about it enough but one of the ways I, I think about this stuff, right? So when I'm thinking about that idea I just said about starting with a blank canvas and pretending and pretending everything is false, like I think that goes totally yeah. against the way that we naturally think, and it goes totally with yeah. the way that a scientist would think. But what this does is it can it can basically paralyze people from living a normal life. Because like if you think about like the way something like a religious doctrine might function, right? If you if you if someone has a certain religion, there might be a certain rule book that they try and live by. And there's these simple rules for life that sort of minimize my need to yeah. think and question different things. And when you bring science into the equation and you start to assume the skeptic's perspective, it can seem like it makes life much harder to live because you end up in this position where you know nothing, you assume everything is false, and you need to figure out like what way that you actually need to live and I think one of the interesting ways that this has has played out um in in other cultures has been like you've you've probably seen this and you, you might correct me if I'm wrong but Peter, Peter O'Sullivan um the researcher over in Australia did some research into this sort of thinking yeah. in the aboriginal Australians so they initially did a, p- a paper back in 1993 a qualitative paper and what they did was one of that was it was a different research group anyway I'll go on but the point the point is that basically when when those cultures were linking things like pain to spiritual beliefs as opposed to biomedical things, biomedical explanations, you saw some interesting stuff. So there was very low levels of disability in response to chronic low back pain, but very high levels of disability yeah. in response to neck pain. And the, re- the reason for that that was postulated was essentially because the neck pain was linked to yeah. impending doom in their culture. So it was like the, the, it was the meaning response as opposed to the actual pain. But then when you come up to the more recent research in, the, in 20, 2013, there's uh, basically shows now that um, these people now have much higher levels of disability as a result of these biomedical narratives that they've been fed. And they have much different explanations related to things like arthritis and things being out in their back and needing surgery and all this. And, and I find that incredibly interesting because we often think that like science is always progress. Whereas what science, like science is essentially this means of inquiry that like can sometimes lead to a very different outcome than if someone did follow their normal spiritual rule book. And in the West, like in our culture, what we see is that we have certain, a certain rule book, I guess, that we live by when it comes to things like pain in that like, oh, posture, like posture is a problem. That's almost just like a meme, if you will, 
yeah. in, in our culture that, that that's just a thing that is accepted and too much exercise might be bad or certain positions might be bad. And I think it's just so hard to get people to adopt that skeptic blank canvas mindset because it almost, you could argue, would make yeah, life yeah, harder to live in general. Like, what do you think yeah, about that? An interesting question. Yeah, I think the job of science is to correct itself. You know, if you have a claim and you, you know, um, you test it and, you know, yeah. if it's not found to be true or if it's false, you know, we try and correct that. I think, yeah, your question about the rule book. Yeah, I think, I think what this comes down to essentially is how much benefit or harm comes from the rule book. So I think we probably overestimate the benefits yes. of following certain treatments or following certain religions or, or claims or whatever. And we underestimate the harms of doing that. So maybe it's a trade-off between benefits and harms. Um, yeah, I think if you have no meaningful claims to or no meaningful canvas, I think, yeah, sometimes it can keep people, you know, it can get people lost. But I think what happens sometimes with the claims we hear now is they actually try and erode people's common sense um, beliefs around how we should live. So, you know, there are good principles around, you know, movement is good, getting enough sleep, um, you know, uh, mood is important. Mm -hmm. I don't know, having friends, all of these things are probably good principles to live by, but they're often eroded then by claims that we hear in the media and more popular culture or whatever. So <clears throat> the blank canvas question is difficult. I think it comes down to someone could say, yeah, it's easier to live by the rule book. But if the rule book is causing more harm than benefit, I think people need mm -hmm. to probably re-question it. So I think, yeah, you mentioned the one about um, posture. So posture is a thing that, again, I think when it originated, it was seen as something associated with being proper or looking well or people that sit, uh, sit up straight, you know, there's something more proper about it, yes. you know, as if, as opposed to, you know, slouching, which looks improper or rude or, you know, impolite or whatever. And that was kind of the basis of it in, you know, I think more, I guess, previous times. But I think when, I think what happens and it, it I, you might have spoken about this, before when it comes to again beliefs we have or a rule book we, we we follow the rule book for something like posture would be something like what's it's like a, a fallacy that after this therefore because of this so when people yeah the po post hoc ergo propter hoc yeah so that's the one the thing with posture is that when somebody sees somebody slouching or may maybe they've slouched once during the day or they've they've been slouching all day there's a kind of a there's a kind of a belief about slouching that it's not a good thing to do, which is based on nothing. You know, it's come from, you know, nothing. Some beliefs that people had years ago that, you know, we shouldn't be slouching. And because a person might have slouched maybe an hour ago, they automatically say, oh, I have the pain now because of that slouching posture. So we kind of link things. We when we recalled by the rule book, we then it makes our understanding of our current situation more inaccurate because we have this rule book through which we view our life, you know, a lens through which we view our life. So if that's for back pain or posture, if we have the view that, you know, slouching or poor, we put that in inverted commas, causes back pain, we look for things in our past 
that ha- that fit with that narrative, um, if that makes sense. So again, that's the problem with having these rules to live by uh, for anything, that if you don't start with a blank canvas, you're going to have all of these perceptions and expectations and, you know, j- just jump to conclusions and assumptions that are just based on a belief system. And the problem with beliefs and confidence in beliefs is they're not really that associated with accuracy so we fool ourselves into thinking that we know more than we do about a certain thing because that's all we've ever known so um yeah I don't think we'll ever have a blank slate um when it comes to things but I think by getting people to think more skeptical about things that are clear in society or things that are being advertised or things that are being encouraged I think that's probably the nearest we'll we'll get to that. That's a very deep question, though. But yeah, I know because it's, it's it's something like I just I go back and forth on in my head because like I think like the the way I've characterized it in that question is more like more like public perception of what science should do. So I think like public the general public perception yeah. of science and people who might have maybe an armchair interest in science is that science is there to add all of this additional information um, and that we add this and we add that and sciencey people do you know they give you these postural interventions and it's all about like interventionism yeah. like it's like we need to do something to change things so it's like it's all additive yeah. whereas like any and like like yourself or anyone that's actually interested in science science is not additive it's it's more so about like assuming nothing rather than assuming yeah. something so you assume that that two things um uh, that, that that everything's basically the same. That, that there's there's not a difference, rather than assuming that there yeah, is yeah. a difference. So um, so so like that's. I sorry, do that with back ahead. pain. So assume that all treatments don't yeah. work, and then and then exactly. And <laughs> I think I think what this misses out on is for claims in society as well. So these are the the many false claims. We'll bring it back to back pain. Posture causes back pain. Like that's a false claim. We know. All of us, we're individual, we all have different architectures, we sit different ways, we like to sit different ways, you know, we move in and out of postures, um, you know, frequently during the day. None of them can be blamed for pain, you know, um, no particular posture is bad or no particular movement is bad. But what needs to happen is, if that's a cl- if that's a claim that has taken, you know, that's a theory that has been put into practice. It has been put into practice before it has ever been tested you know so everyone believed that before it has ever been you know put under any you know scientific scrutiny but now when we've tested that you know so when we've looked at all the studies on posture we follow people with all different postures over time you know ever before they get pain so we follow thousands and thousands of people and we see that the people that sit more in one way over another are they more likely to get pain no the same thing is with lifting or school bags and all of these things that are really you know, it's not even a claim. I think people underestimate like the harm some of these things do because there's policies almost put in place based on these things that have no evidence. And then we we look at them in science and they don't show up as being important at all. And I think, as I said, that science aims to correct or update itself. And I think that's why it needs to, if there's a claim out there that's not true, you know, if the science is done well, that claim then needs to be replaced with something that's a bit more, I guess, uncertain, or that says that, no, actually, this isn't the cause of of, of pain. And then the problem then is you spend oceans and oceans of time and money on these claims that have never been shown to be true. And then we treat a person in line with those claims. And that's the problem 
for 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 back pain and i feel yeah the science isn't appreciated as much because it's like yeah this additive effect oh well that study is just adding to the body of knowledge but really it's actually going against everything that we know and probably needs more serious Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just a minefield. Like, yeah. there's so much misinformation out there. If we think about a gym gore, you know, if if a gym gore gets back pain and they Google back pain, you know, it'll be the worst possible outcome that'll come up on Doctor Google. And then people you meet, whether it be health professionals or trainers or other people in the gym, the information they get is so it goes through such a like Chinese whispers process that by the time it reaches you, you know, it's farther and further away from the truth when people put their own views on it. So I think that's why the best way forward is a bit like the blank slate, like you've said, is like, how can you learn how to critically assess claims yourself? Because by the time you hear them from someone else or by the way they're distorted, you know, it's hard to actually get to the, you know, get to the truth. Yeah. And I think it's difficult as well, because like part of this is like, like you do also have to get to the point where right, we, we have to trust medical and healthcare professionals like that. That has to be like a a fundamental thing and that like you kind of do have to like trust the system as a whole because if you don't you might miss out on some pretty vital things like the obvious most obvious example of that is the anti-vax movement like that's where skepticism um can go wrong when you don't have people who are actually have the, the genuine tools to to do the inquiry into like whether or not something is true so i think it's it's just so complicated and i think when you think about the pain stuff especially i think a lot of a lot of the the, the additive perspectives of science in terms of like, all right, we've got all these interventions. It can also, it, it can come back to a more fundamental problem in medicine and healthcare that is like over-medicalization, over-treatment, over-diagnosis, and the feeling of doctors or physios that yeah. they need to do something. Like as in, there has to be there has to be something that you do. And then that translates into public health in terms of the individual. They If they have a problem, a symptom, it's not enough for them to just go on and live life anymore. It's like, all right, I have to yeah. do something to fix this. Um, and I think like that, that's it. That's a fundamental issue that, that is at the core of all this that like, I know I've seen you trying to, to challenge this, but, but that I think is like, it's such a big problem that it's like, wow, that's a difficult yeah. thing to try and address. Um, Cause it, it infiltrates through the whole yeah. of our culture um in, in across think, all healthcare disciplines so we break down the vaccine not an easy problem, problem. The back pain problem there are obviously two different problems with different consequences but i think yeah. the difference here as well is that people play on people's fear of things going wrong and i think you know let's say when when it comes to mm-hmm. vaccines um that how that how the initial aim around this anti-vaccine started was there was a scientific study again and this is why you know when science is done badly, it can actually erode people's trust in science. But this guy, um, Andrew Wakefield, published a trial in The Lancet, which is a big medical journal, showing that, you know, the vaccines mm-hmm. were linked to autism. That study was made up and it was retracted there afterwards. But where the media went wrong is that retraction was never pushed. No one tried their best early on to say that this was, you know, a made up study and this person has been struck off or whatever. But what that message about vaccines and autism really um, fed into is that people's, you know, um, inherent, what is it, natural way to kind of err on the side of caution. So they hear a message that's probably dangerous and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, that might be the case. So we better be careful. Another, another thing, it's a bit like that, uh, the posture, um, the posture back pain, that kind of 
oh, uh, I sat this way, so that's that's why I must have back pain. Is We see the same with vaccines. Is When people were exposed to that vaccine message earlier on in the time, they didn't start to, you know, when they saw people getting a vaccine and then they saw people with autism, they started conflating those two things. They were like, oh, people get the vaccine and now people develop autism. So it has to be true. They start seeing these relationships. So the vaccine myths have come coming to pass because of like bad science and where one study has been just run out of control um you know there's other reasons um but that's one of the the big ones for back pain then like the science when it's done well always goes against public perception it always you know goes against the posture the slip discs the treatments but it's never brought in and i think it's interesting that if if a study fits with a person's public perception or feeds fear it'll be taken up um you know maybe more yeah taken up faster amongst society whereas if something like the back pain messages which are really challenging which are kind of saying you shouldn't be fearful i feel are less likely to be taken up so if you if i put out a really bad message tomorrow about a study for back pain that for example the mattress we lie on at night is the worst thing you can do for back pain. That will be, that will get into public <laughs> consciousness quicker than if I say something like mattresses don't work. So even though it's coming from a, a scientist, it's like the message yeah. that's more to do with threat to the individual will be just more prioritized. And I think that's the problem with vaccines. And I think that's the problem that's really hard to tackle when 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 people see a danger, you know, they see the autism there. They see they now they're now seeing those links themselves, mm-hmm. you know, um, which aren't true. It's just putting them together based on, you know, all of these kind of conspiracy theories. Um, so I don't know what my point was there, but I, I, I think my point was that that science no, will be accepted more if it gives a message that's more in line with people's fears. But if it tackles people's I guess I would say cognitive biases, if it tackles a person's perceptions in a negative way it's less likely to be taken up and i think that's what you're seeing with vaccines versus back pain the other thing i like about vaccines is though is that let's say simon harris he's actually now you know starting a public health campaign trying to tackle all the misconceptions around vaccines you know getting policies involved policy makers and whatever to try and tackle these misconceptions and this misinformation but i think the problem with the thing with vaccines obviously is the, the consequences are different to the misinformation around back pain and i think the back pain yes. misinformation is just not taken as seriously even though the effects can be just heartbreaking you know the effect it can have on people's lives if they're given wrong information they go off work they're told all of these things so i've had num- a numerous um, people in the past when i was a physio that they might have hurt their back um you know bending over to pick up their child and or bending over to clean the dishwasher or something and they'd be told oh you're after putting something out of place and all of this and then the messages go on to now you won't be able to have kids because you have a bad back and so you know uh these messages like that appear helpful at the start oh they're only trying to you know help me mind myself they can really go down the the road of having it a huge impact on people's lives all this misinformation um yeah so that has happened to a few people i've met where they've they they've actually you know avoided living because of some bad message around their spine 
But I think the vaccine messages, on the other hand, that's been taken more seriously by governments, you know, the actual misinformation. But for something like back pain, I just feel it's not taken serious, the misinformation. It's not. People aren't trying to regulate it. People aren't called out for making, you know, bad claims. They're, it's not taking a, a, taken as seriously. So if you if you write something into the media, you know, about back pain, it's really just a drop in the ocean of other, like, poor messages around back pain, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the interesting things about, like, the response to your piece in the media because I suppose if I was a if I was someone with back pain and I went to read your piece um and I, I, I would come out and think oh well that was that was that was really positive I could either think I could either come out thinking oh my god that's really refreshing you know it's so nice to hear that you know I'm, I'm likely to get better I don't need to rest anymore or I could come out thinking yeah. what the fuck <laughs> this, yeah. this person doesn't understand my pain they don't understand anything yeah. about what I've been told already and um, because it's 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 layered on top of lots of false understanding that's been fostered throughout the, the lifespan and through consultation with healthcare professionals up to that point so th- there's no single article that will ever be released no. in the newspaper that can undo that and I think that's probably like the, mo- the most difficult thing here is is like like this this podcast like However many people listen to it, like some people might listen and they'd be like, oh, cool, that I'm, that's really good information. But it's only really good information because you've already been exposed to information probably from triage or similar types of, of, of businesses that are maybe are putting out information yeah. that is a little bit more evidence-based or you found this through, through Mary because you were exposed to physio information already. And it beca- it's like oh, we're, we're in our own echo cha- oh. chamber. Like this is a bubble. This is a, this is a bubble where we all reinforce sure. our own things, and you see that so much on like physio, yeah. tw- but physio even your Twitter. Listeners, yeah. You know the fact that your listeners listen to you and Paddy. You know they might be more open or have a bit more of an appetite for like you know uh, scientific inquiry, assessing claims yeah. or whatever. But uh, yeah, Twitter is another example. Uh, yeah, the the echo chamber. But I think what you're really thinking, if we're thinking from um, a societal perspective, and if we just take Ireland and back pain. You probably need a national strategy, you know, like we've national strategies for depression, uh, the management of depression, the management of obesity, whatever about how successful or unsuccessful they are. At least the government is showing some bit of front around, OK, we need to tackle some of these things. But you need because back pain, as you said, you know, it's the leading cause of disability in, let's say, Ireland and across countries, which means that it won't kill you, mm-hmm. but you live less years and days kind of happy and experiencing quality of life in those years so it really like affects people's quality of life and function but you really need like Simon Harris and Leo Varadkar <clears> kind of really taking on like a national strategy for back pain that's what it's you know that would or or knee osteoarthritis another one that's arthritis the idea that you know you shouldn't move and all of these kind of misconceptions probably need to be tackled at a higher level you know and you probably need like lots of vi- videos lots of um, examples of people that have been through the system and where their lives have been actually messed up because of these things. Because I think when you put out these things in the media and you're talking about numbers and facts, it only comes alive if you attach a story and a person to that. So if you had people like coming out talking about, like we see that with depression, people coming out talking about their experience of depression and things they've tried and things that haven't worked Mm -hmm. and they're, you know, and people respond more to those pieces. But I think for back pain, there needs to be more calling out of things that haven't helped people and actually showing people the narrative of people that have gone through 
all of this false mis you know information all of these misconceptions all of these ineffective treatments and surgeries and drugs and physiotherapy and whatever and see how it has an impact on their life and maybe something like that can have more of a you know um an impact and yeah like you said there the reaction to my media piece i think if i had to really distill down the numbers the likes on on twitter and, and facebook would be coming from help care professionals that already <laughs> agree yeah. with that information and yeah. i'm doing a study on that at the moment i'm actually trying to take um the lens the lancet series on back pain i'm collecting all the the media releases that went out about that so i have a way of capturing the all the media that has covered that and i'm we're going to analyze like the comments you know the the comments in all the sections and how the messages from that was accepted you know and i think that will be very interesting because while you think your message will be received you know you're putting out a message you know you're not in a closed system like you said you're you know it's an open system where you're putting out p messages to people that have had an illness had a surgery have had an experience so a lot of those messages like can really backfire as well when you put them out so yeah i think there's a lot to be learned from probably doing that and then learning from it probably involving lots of the public as well and people with back pain in it because i think if you could have i've even been interested in that like even if you had like large community juries and large like meetings of of people where you kind of get them informed and make them you know not make them but kind of give them the lowdown on this is where we're at with back pain and if you can like if they can help you put messages out there and communicate your message maybe that would help but there needs to be so many so much things like regulation um cutting down vested interests you know larger public education but yeah i think some of it needs to start in the schools like i said where school children are you know taught how to assess claims about tests treatments diets whatever you know um yeah yeah it won't be just one article putting yeah. it out into the media tapping tap, tap, tap yourself in the back yeah. saying it got so many likes and retweets which is only being retweeted and liked within your own echo chamber you know so <laughs> yeah it's like oh look this is what i've been saying all along here yeah. guys and then you share that to yeah. your followers who have already heard that message and it's like oh yeah it's difficult because i think i think the other thing as well is that like there's a big difference, um, and I alluded to this in one of my Instagram story highlights. People might have seen it. Like, they, there's a big difference between <clears throat> public health yeah. information and individual health information. Um, and and I think this is the, a big problem on social media is that a lot of the stuff that goes out on social media and that like generates viral responses, especially on Instagram. Like, I'm big into looking at the Instagram physio pages that are real popular and seeing what they're doing, because um, very often it's just crap. And like, what what you see is that. It's it's individual information that's being put out on a on a, a mass scale level that is telling people you yeah. should do this or you shouldn't do this rather than rather than discussing concepts and principles and trying to foster basic education, which is sort of what you're talking about there in, in the schools. Um, or if you were to put out a public health campaign, like you wouldn't be putting out a public health campaign that's like, do this yeah. intervention. It would start with like the, you know this this is why yeah. this is why back pain happens or like it's not concerning because xyz whereas that's not what people do on social media the yeah. most popular instagram rehab pages are the ones that put out you need to do this right now and obviously that appeals to everyone because yeah. they are looking for the next solution 
um, and everyone's everyone's going from solution to solution in t- instead of going back to the root yeah. cause and and questioning their understanding and saying, oh, actually, maybe if I just maintain yeah. change my understanding, then I can move forward. And I think I think that's that's the difficult thing because I think a lot of people think that they're helping, um, like they might think they're helping by putting out lots of information, but I don't think individual health information on a mass scale level is actually helpful. And that has totally that that realization for me has totally yeah. changed the way that we put out information um, with triage even like I would look back at things from two years ago and think, yeah. oh, man, like I wish we didn't put that out, you know, and I think you just have to be honest with yourself as well. If you are someone that is, you know, putting out information for people to consume, like be honest with yeah. yourself, like, is this actually for the good of everyone or am I just doing this to potentially reinforce yeah. Yeah, and I think that me. comes back to your comment you know. earlier on about the blank slate. I think people like having this, uh, you know, this book of recipes to follow for their for their pain or for their diet or whatever. But I think mm-hmm. the problem with that is when there is harms, you know, when the, the is the ratio between benefits and harms. There are some, there is space. I think there is space in back pain for good generic information around, you know, when you get back pain, when do you expect yeah. to recover? So, for example, if you get a, an episode of back pain, and yes. I mentioned this earlier on to the, you know, when I was talking to, you know, the, the listeners is like, you know, there's some back pain that's like really serious that we need to capture quickly and send you off for medical treatment. But that this is in the like the less than the 4%, you know, the cancers, the, the, the spinal cord damage, the, you know, bowel and bladder problems, infections, broken bones, those kind of things. But I think there is a space for the public knowing that if you are not within that category, you should, you know, be very confident and believe that you're going to improve. And, you know, most episodes, like back pain, most of it improves substantially within two weeks, no matter what you do. You know, if you stand on your head or if someone stands on you or if you do nothing at all, nothing at all, it'll improve at the same rate as if you go in and get treatment uh, two weeks. And then six weeks, most of it, most people recover. But the problem is some people will, they recover slower. So I think that's worth knowing as well. Like, I think there is um, there is um, a space for that type of generic knowledge. So things like depression, anxiety, uh, sleep problems, um, your your thoughts around your back pain, your beliefs, they can slow down your recovery. So I think that's important to know. Because even if you don't have a life-threatening source of back pain, and let's say if you're not better after six weeks, there could be things within, you know, there could be things, your your general health, your, you know, your over, yeah, your general health, I guess, that just slow down that recovery. So I think on a population level, things like that are worth knowing about. But I think the, this kind of evidence, these kind of claims like, oh, do yoga, uh, it cures your back in one day or do this or whatever. I think they are very sure. misleading. And misleading because it gives people these um, expectations that if they do that treatment for this amount of time, they'll get better. And more often than not, we see with back pain, they won't get better because it's a bit like a common cold. You need to give it its time, you know, to improve. And when people get all these crappy messages and then they don't feel better, you know, they then panic. They're like, oh, I'm stuffed. That article said all I needed to do was this and I still don't feel better now I better get a scan or whatever, you know? So I think the worst thing you could tell a gym goer is, look, you'll be better tomorrow. Like, you need a kind of a realistic attitude that, look, you might have pain for a while, but this doesn't mean you should stop going to the gym or it doesn't mean that you need to, you know, change your, you know, change your life. You know, you might need to, 
you know, if you're lifting for a while, it's a bit like doing um, a squat maybe after an ankle sprain. You might modify your load for a while. You might alter the way you do it. But you won't stop it. You know, mm-hmm. you won't, um, or, or, you, or you won't have these views that like, now you'll never go back to how you were before. So it's having a kind of a realistic view. So I think there is a, a, an appetite, not an appetite, well, there should be an appetite, but kind of a wider level um, move to give that type of generic information. But as you say, anything beyond that um, isn't great. And an, another thing, I suppose, we haven't touched on this yet, but that back pain, so many things can be, you know, increase your chances of getting back pain. So things like, yeah, um, you know, sleep, um, how you feel, you know, your general health, um, stress, run, you know, being run down, all of those things can kind of interact with, you know, the gym or whatever you're doing in the gym to kind of really build that pain, you know, mm-hmm. feed into that pain experience. Um, so let's say if you're going to the gym and you're doing lots of training, but also you're studying for exams and you're not getting much sleep and, you know, you're not, you know, you're leading a busy lifestyle you know, there, there, there's, there's things in there that might, you know, just give your body a bit of a, a bit of a sense that maybe you need to slow down a bit. And sometimes it can be your body's way of telling you that maybe, you know, you know, you need to address something, but it mightn't always be something like, oh my God, you know, your back is stuffed. I think that's the problem. Um, yeah. So there, I think there's a place for general information like that. If people knew that back pain wasn't always due to injury, and that you have a good, you know, good outcome, and that you don't have to be running in getting treatments and scans. That's good information, I think, that needs to be on a public level. But yeah, the extra information about the bells and whistles of what treatments you get and all of this, I think, yeah, is is more misleading than helpful. I think. Yeah, and I think I think it's funny as well because I've said this on the podcast before, but it like a lot of this. I know it isn't this simple, but if a, a lot of it does come down to what your grandfather might say to you if you were to tell him you had back pain. Like, I think it's funny because it's like, it's not untrue. Like if you went to, like, I think a little bit with a little bit more compassion and empathy, maybe like if you went to your grandfather and said, Oh, grandma, my back is uh, sore today. Um, and you know, he, he fought in world yeah. war two. He's just hardcore guy, old school conservative. He's just like, ah, oh, you'll be fine. Some son, come on, I'll make you a cup of tea and get on uh, and we'll get on with it. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, that's almost like the role of yeah. the physiotherapist in this situation is like, like, obviously it's not, ju- it's not just that, but it's, it's, yeah. it's a little bit of education, a little bit of reassurance. Um, and, 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 t- you know, telling people how they can get back on track. And I think, I think one of the big problems with the resistance to this is that that's actually threatening in that, like that is threatening to, to a lot of professionals who, rely on their professional identity in terms of like oh no you should see physio you need to see physio and we'll give you these exercises and like you can even see that in in things that would yeah. very much confirm my own bias in terms of like yeah. oh you you just need to do more strength training like while I would while I would love if that was just the solution yeah. to pain like it's just not and I think we we all we all have our own ways of 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 like wanting those things to be true like someone might tell you that you just need to go for massage another person will tell you you need to do this exercise another person will tell you you need to go for this um hypnotic <laughs> intervention or whatever it is um but but a, but a, a lot of it comes back to the fact that like this is just a prime example of over medicalization oh, yeah. of yeah. different 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 therapists and professionals 
and brands of healthcare yeah. telling you what you need when in fact your grandfather would probably you know do most of the job pretty well yeah and we also and i know this is maybe a cynical way of looking at it but all of these people are defending their busy side of the marketplace you know they all have something to gain yep. by giving you a certain message like my advice to anyone like to myself when i get back pain or to anyone else with back pain uh, provided they're not fitting within that category, you know, so we, you know, I'm not saying that anytime you get back pain, it's not serious. Again, you know, there are, yeah. there is that percentage that can be linked, you know, with cancer or bladder and bowel problems and all of that. But what I'd be saying to the gym goer is no treatment is the treatment of choice. That when we follow these treatments, the problem with back pain is every treatment looks effective. It's like every treatment works for the common cold. Of course it does because the common cold yeah. gets better. And I think what happens here is, if someone goes for treatment too early, so sometimes there'll be no harm to come from that because they get better anyway. The treatment happens to be almost entertaining them while they get better. But the problem with that is some of the messages that are given to you during treatment can then have an impact on, you know, what you think about your next episode of back pain. Or some of the messages are actually yeah. um, delaying your recovery because you're told to do things that would be the very good things to engage with when you have back pain. So if I go for back pain, I have back pain. Um, uh, it's really bad today, for example. Because it's really bad today, it has nowhere to go but down. It has to improve. It's like yeah. a common cold. It has to improve. If you go in when you're at your worst of back pain, so let's say you do a deadlift, you come home from the gym, you're really sore. Let's say you go into the physio the next day or you go into the chiropractor or doctor or whatever. They give you this really kind of disparate amount of descriptions about what's wrong with your back they'll give you a treatment whether it be massage acupuncture exercise it doesn't really matter what it is and they'll give you some biologically plausible mechanism by which that treatment is working so some will say oh you i put something in others will say i stretched a muscle here and you'll get better because that's what happens with episodes of back pain they get better yeah. by themselves but because of that the treatment gets the the reward for getting you better you know, oh, such a one was a great person, you know, they put my disc in or they pulled my muscle here or there. But what we see in, the in you know, when we follow the, these treatments is none of these things are changing. You know, nothing, definitely nothing came out. So definitely nothing's going in with these treatments. But also there isn't changes in this muscle strength or there's not changes in flexibility or there's not changes in muscle activation or timing or all of these treatments, you know, how they're advertised to work. They don't even work by that mechanism because number one, you're going to get better. And in the case that you're not getting better, how these treatments help you get to recovery in some extent, uh, in some cases is nothing to do with what's happening at the level of the tissue. Um, often it's getting you more confident to engage again. So we know for people that have back pain a long time, you give them an exercise program, you know, if it's set up in the right way, you might improve their confidence you know, their confidence to engage with stuff. So sometimes we think, particularly among, you know, real fitness people is when we do an exercise, because we're doing an exercise, for example, if we're trying to gain uh, muscle strength or body mass, we're doing an exercise with the goal of improving muscle hypertrophy or whatever. So we're seeing changes in the tissues. But for people with pain, when you give them an exercise, it, 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 it's it's sometimes tempting to think that oh we give that person a squat and their pain now is better because I improved their glute strength or their core or whatever but we don't actually see those things changing in people with pain at all so even when their pain gets better um 
those physical parameters that we think work, uh, that's the way we think exercise work, don't change at all in these people with pain, but they get better anyway. So that makes us question the theories behind a lot of our treatments as well. Um, but yeah, so that's important for gym goers because when they have pain and if they're told that you need to do all these Swiss ball exercises or all of these core stability exercises or yoga or whatever is, uh, you know, is advertised to them, they need to be thinking about, do I actually need to be doing these things? And if my pain is going to improve in this type of, you know, trajectory anyway, you know, why am I doing these treatments and how these treatments are explained to me? Where is the evidence that the treatment actually works that way? Because that's what we see, that people are given this biologically plausible mechanism. Like, I could tell you that, you know, rubbing a cat to your back improves your back pain. But, you know, and that will come across as a good mechanism because you'll feel better after that treatment anyway. For, you know, just because of, you know, people like getting treatment and people get better. But when we look deeper into the mechanisms by which a lot of these treatments work, a lot of it is to do with, you know, the confidence of the therapist, the confidence you're given from the therapist, the interaction, time, expectation. But time is the big one. Like if you if your pain is bad today, it's going to improve. So even knowing that is good. And giving giving yourself a shot to actually improve. You know, the hum you know, we are robust, the back is robust, you're you know, we have our own natural painkillers that we're able to look after these things. So Sometimes your granddad's advice, you know, is good. So it might come across as maybe, you know, not compassionate or something or that you're saying that this person hasn't a problem. But really that old style advice that, look, things will get better, um, you know, uh, move on with this and that and, you know, address things that are important. You know, if you're not sleeping or, you know, if you're not accustomed to doing a particular exercise you know go about improving those things you know get yourself better at lifting get yourself more accustomed to doing an activity improve whatever is going on but at the same time your body is still in good shape you know you're not falling apart but yeah the granddad's advice might might be better than what we did when we enter a health system we have to see that when when you enter people have vested interests to tell you what's wrong and that's not like don't miss out on a good treatment medicine is really important healthcare you know, has done wonders for lots of different conditions. But for back pain, it's been over-medicalized, you know, over-treated. And it's something that, you know, hasn't responded to being treated within a, an injury or a disease model. So, yeah, I think, yeah, a lot more hope needs to be given, but not to be too, not false hope around quick cures and magic bullets, you know? Yeah, and I think... You touched on there like something that I would like to reiter reiterate is how mis how people can misapply science there to their advantage in terms of how treatment oh, works. God, yeah. Because basically, like like Dr. Harriet Hall refers to it as she's one of the writers for science based medicine, and she refers to it as like tooth fairy science, where like you know you're looking at all the stuff that the that the the tooth fairy brought, like oh the tooth fairy brought this much money, and you're talking about you're looking at these patterns over time, and you're measuring how much money she bought for brought for each tooth and stuff without actually questioning like oh actually was it the tooth fairy that brought this money or was it someone else and like we can see this happen a lot when it comes to things like surrogate markers in terms of yes. improvements in pain like very often what happens is we we have a a is the intervention so we got an intervention let's say it might be stretching it might be muscle strengthening um it might be like foam rolling or massage or whatever and then we've got c so we've got like all right we've got point c and that is people get better over time, as you said. 
Um, someone got better. Okay, someone got better after they received this treatment. Yeah. Um, and then we're like, we're like, all right. So we know that those two things happened. Yeah. Therefore, all we need to do is find B. So we take a tissue biopsy, or we do a functional MRI, or we measure someone's muscle yeah. strength. And if there's if there's anything going on there, there's any noise, then we say, ah, oh, there we go. That's the mechanism. Here's the mechanism. It's B. And you've seen this happen so much over the course of like the way um, rationale for treatments yeah. has evolved, especially in like in manual therapy. Like yeah. you know, you might have people who who started off explaining that, oh, it was because the the spinal uh, vertebra was uh, subluxed and then it went back into place and we just put it back in place and that's why you get yeah. better. And then that's kind of disproved. And then we're like, all right, well, we need to find something else. So <laughs> yeah. let's look at, let's, let's, let's look under the, the microscope and okay, we see these inflammatory markers and uh, all right, we see these uh, quote unquote neurophysiological changes. Um, and it's like, it's like we have to find something to explain yeah. it instead of stepping back and saying, inst- instead of stepping back and saying, all right, why don't we just maintain uncertainty about all these things? And then we can we, we can give them all a fair test and see why exactly do people get better as opposed to just like finding after the fact, you know, assuming that, that, that it has to work because of the strength or because of the stretch or yeah. whatever. And, um, yeah. So, yeah. I think that's no, you are right. We are seeing that more in the in the in the science world that you know we know now that these models are outdated you know the things about putting things in out of place we know a lot of that stuff has been discredited by studies so among some researchers there's there's now a move to kind of go oh okay so how do i justify my treatment and the stuff that it's moving towards now is like um yeah the neurophysiological effects the patient therapist interaction all of these stuff and it's kind of dancing around the fact that we actually don't know or actually admitting that people get better over time so some of the stuff now yeah. it's hard to differentiate between some of the mechanisms that people are talking about and placebo effects it's like actually going so far as to like you know i i don't know it's like making up yeah things like the, i think the patient therapist interaction is one that that's used a lot that you know our treatments are yeah. more effective if we are more confident giving them but that really says nothing to do with how good or bad your treatment is and yeah, some of that can be just, I don't know that uh, some of it just can be misleading definitely at the, at the, at the person, at the person level. And I think in scientific meetings, you know, there's more of an appreciation that things like the patient therapist interaction is important, but that's still not being communicated to the, the person with pain. They're still being told that, you know, I've stretched your muscle or I've increase your that's another one the trend transversus abdominis activation strength all of these models have been just knocked down you know anytime they've been looked at in any rigorous controlled manner they just haven't come out on top ever um i think the the other one for back pain as well is the idea of the best exercise for back pain you know and all we've all of these different exercises they've been compared and again this is different to a goal in the gym that's let's say it matters what type of exercise you're doing if you want to build hamstring strength you know we wouldn't just say do yoga or stretching or whatever when it comes (laughs) to pain if we compare yoga pilates cycling walking whatever they all have the same small effect and nothing is changing so you're not changing flexibility strength you're changing maybe psychological distress around movement. So people are less fearful to move because by getting a person to engage in exercise, you're, you're almost kind of saying it's safe to exercise. So that's good. 
and also a person's confidence in engaging activity. But what we're not seeing is these structural or biomechanical or functional changes. So that's why we tell say people, oh, engage with whatever exercise you want. You know, there's not one advantage of you know picking one over the other. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of information in there that gym goers can definitely apply because the people listening here in the gym, you probably will get back pain. You know, you probably will get a lot of back pain. Yeah. And I think there's a move in some um, in some circles among researchers in the media is telling people like, you know, you know, you need to prevent all pain. You need to prevent back pain. You know, once you yes. get it, it's, it's you know, you're, you're stuffed. But as I've said, you could get back pain for any number or amount of reasons. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty around why you might get it. But what we do know is in the vast majority of cases, it's not life threatening. It's not something you need to worry about. It's not something that's going to be of a threat to your, you know, your, your gym activities, but knowing, yeah, knowing the, the, the claims and knowing all of those things, once you get back pain is just really helpful. Like if you know that, you know, I'm going to get better, um, think beyond the back. So there's lots of things that might be, you know, feeding into my experience with, with this back pain, you know, how much have I done this activity before? Have I, you know, have I done much lifting before? Is this unaccustomed use? You know, um, am I just tired? Have I, you know, done too much deadlifts for what I'm able? So that would be an example with me. I start to deadlifts whenever, I don't know how long ago, but I go in and out of it, which is maybe the issue. But I'd come home and my back would be so tired that, you know, that night when I'm lying on my tummy in that in that position, I'm my back is a bit tired. But I'm not saying to myself, oh, I'm screwed. I'm just saying to myself, oh, yeah, I did a lot of deadlifts and my muscles are tired. You know, I, I, you know, in the same way that if I did, you know, a hamstring curl and my hamstring was sore, you know, I'd see that as a good thing that I'd given myself a workout. Um, yeah. So the gym goers, I think instead of following um, these strict rules that people are told, it's good to think in principles at the same time about, you know, how you think you know, what you need to do next and having some outline, uh, having some plan, I guess, that, you know, you are going to get better. And if you get back pain again, it, it's very rarely a, a thing to to panic or, or worry about. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I would de- I de- definitely agree with that. And I think there's, I think there is stuff to take away from that as well in terms of like, just thinking about like how you, Mary, or me or anyone else are actually approaching their own pain. Because I think very often like, yeah, like physios, physios can be guilty of that, of, um, catastrophizing quite a bit when they do have their own pain and totally oh, overthinking oh, for it sure. For sure. <laughs> like so much I see it all i've heard good stories i i just can't mention them just in case i out somebody like, <laughs> like people physically going off work when they get back pain all these yeah you know? um yeah like um yeah just for the for the, the listeners yeah like i i get back pain and you know um if i go to the gym sometimes if i'm doing a lot of, of certain exercises i'll get some pain but most of the time I won't, but particularly on days, let's say if I haven't slept a lot last night or if it's around, let's yeah. say around like uh, certain times in the menstrual cycle or whatever, for some reasons, I might be more likely to get back pain. Don't ask me why, but there's something about the system that's just a bit more sensitive around that time. You know, your, you know, your, your tolerance for doing things mightn't be as good, but I don't say to myself, oh, during this time of the month, my back has gone out of place. It's, it's none of that. It's, it's just that... Yeah. You can have pain for different reasons or, or, or stress is another thing that, 
you know, coupled with movement that, you know, you're doing, you're in the gym, you're doing an activity, but on that day, you know, there might be just a couple of things coming to, coming together that just happens to, you know, pain seems to manifest or emerge for these reasons. But yeah, so I, yeah, I'm definitely one that gets back pain. Um, and I would have been given a lot of those informations, you know, you have an L5S1 disc bulge, you need to sit up straight, all of that kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, when you actually unleash yourself from that kind of stuff, you know, and you're not shackled by a lot of those things, you know, you, you'll, you'll handle it better and, you know, get better. And when you, you know, when it happens again, because a lot of these things happen again. So if someone gets a headache, they, they'll probably get it again sometime in their lifetime, you know? Um, but it doesn't need to be pathology, uh, you know, made into something that's like a pathology or serious disease. Um, and that's another example, actually, that for, pe- for listeners to think about is if we think of headaches as an example of a pain that's really distressing, really bad, um, very unlikely to be a brain tumor or cancer. But if you think people get a pain, let's say, on the side of their head, very, very, you know, very, uh, I don't know, maybe sometimes I can recall once, but people won't be able to tell you, oh, I fell over or I hit my head off something. And that's why I have the pain. But but they're still comfortable mm-hmm. with the reason you can have pain and it doesn't need to be due to some structural damage or injury. So just having that idea that even in the gym, even though you're doing physical activities, there's a lot of things that can feed into, you know, that experience, you know, beyond the physical activity or something that interacts with how you think about that physical activity you're doing. But yeah, uh, I think that just gets back to how we view different parts of the body again. Yeah, and I think I think for for lifters in particular who are lifting, like I would definitely encourage you to have a long think about this sort of stuff. Because for me, this this education has been the, so productive for training, going to the gym, passing messaging on to others. Yeah. Because like this week for this week for example, on Tuesday I did five sets of deadlifts. On Wednesday I did five sets of squats. Thursday I did five sets of deadlifts. And Friday, I did five sets of squats. Yeah. If you had told me to do that two or three years ago, I would have been like, oh, no, you can't do that. Firstly, because you can't like there's lower back loading on each of those days. So you can't do that. Because yeah. It's not going to be recovered and I'm going to be in pain. So I can't do that, obviously, which then is a barrier to me actually getting in all of the training that I might require to keep on progressing. Whereas now, like with more education, it's like, oh, actually, I can do all of these things. And firstly, it's unlikely to compromise my adaptations to training because we have evidence on that. And yep. secondly, it's unlikely to lead to me um, getting any sort of significant injury because we have evidence on that as well. And yep. it, it's like, it's just really interesting that, that that has been so freeing because even though like my back is is sore today as I'm sitting here, I'm just like, okay, like, and what? Like, that's that's fine. Uh, that is expected. It's something I would expect after doing yep. um, four, work, four workouts that all loaded the muscles on my back. Like I would be surprised if I wasn't a little bit, a little bit sore after that. So I would definitely encourage you to really have a long think about that and think about how the messages that are actually built into the fitness industry might be affecting the way that you actually train. Because I see this all the time in terms of people, people assuming that like, like the classic one is that you shouldn't deadlift twice a week. Like that's it. That is like a fundamental lifters rule that is built into the rule book that you can't deadlift twice a week because of the lower back loading. Whereas like, and I would have, and I would have believed that I wouldn't have done that in the past. And I'd be like, Oh no, anytime I do it, I get too fatigued. Whereas that's actually just an expectation thing. Whereas now I'm doing the most deadlifts I've ever done. 
And I'm just like, oh, actually, this isn't bad at all. And it is definitely not related to the fact that I am bigger or stronger. It's just the fact that I'm no longer fearful of that or avoidant of that. Um, yeah, and I just think it's so... Yeah, there's probably a combination of things there. And, and you, you'll see some people then that could take your message and, and um, like take your message that haven't gone to the gym and just go... Oh, Gary. Oh, yeah, for sure. I did five days in the week and now I'm crippled. No, no, no. You know what I mean? No, but I mean, people yeah. can take the message out of context um, sometimes. Yeah. So it's like what you're trying to say is, you know, um, none of these things are, are dangerous or harmful and I can do it. But at the same time, when you go to the gym, you know, yeah, if you haven't done an activity before or if you ha- are doing a lot of it and unaccustomed, it's perfectly natural to you know, actually get pain because of it. But it's just realizing yes. that none of that is um is is dangerous. But at the same time, when it comes to things like running or whatever, you know, we all build up, you know, we all build up to doing more or build up to a certain weight or whatever. So there's no need to be afraid of doing these things. But yeah, kind of just be sensible as well. You know, like, you know, yeah. you know you're not a superhuman but none of it, you're not tearing yourself or pulling yourself apart, but your body will react to it. So if I went deadlifting five times a week, I probably, you know, I'd be quite sore, but it's not, you know, it's not a big deal in the, in the long run, but, you know, just kind of knowing what to expect, I think, you know, as well. Yeah. Knowing what to expect. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. There are, there are multiple things to consider. Like you don't yeah. just, you don't just ditch basic training principles because you realize that, yeah. Oh, pain is a biopsychosocial experience. Therefore, I can train twelve times a week. It's like, no, that's not the way it works either. Like, we know that acute, like big spikes in in load. Like, if you go from doing yeah. no strength strength training to four or five days of strength training, you will likely experience pain, and you yeah. could very well be at a, a higher risk of injury. Like, that's just, ba- but that's basic load management stuff. Yeah, like you exactly. don't just, yeah, you don't do ridiculous things in the gym. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes I feel when you put out a message that you know. Um, do whatever you want. Some people can like, yeah. um, kind of criticize your message and they're like, how do you mean you're, you know, so it's like what you're saying basically is you shouldn't expect that you can only deadlift twice a week. Of course you can deadlift more, but at the same time, don't forget that, you know, if you haven't done that before, you mightn't do it the same as, you know, you have done Gary, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just like, Yeah. So don't expect a thing to be harmful or dangerous, but at the same time, you know, um, you know, don't expect that you're not going to have any pain. Like, so, you know, I'm yeah. trying to, yeah, it's, I'm trying to kind of sit in board camps, but yeah, none of it is dangerous yeah, or you're... harmful at the end of the day, but you know, um, of course you can get pain. Be sensible. Yeah, <laughs> sensible, exactly. Yeah. Be sensible. Yeah. It's... Don't wrap yourself in cotton wool and not you know don't be listening to these things that say you can only do this once a week or twice a week or whatever like yeah like yeah we adapt the only reason that we adapt and we're resilient and we'll adapt to different things so i think that's important yeah and the only reason that example in particular was like one that i wanted to bring up was because yeah like deadlifting twice a week if you were to it's because like it loads the the back the lower back quite a bit and yeah when you take other exact other exercises people have no problem bench pressing three times a week and they've no problem squatting three <laughs> yeah, times a week. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they've no problem training their biceps four times a week. But when it's as soon as it comes to the back, it's like, Oh no, just once a week. And that like, that is a, that's a fundamental like lifting rule that has been yeah. carried forward that, that people still believe. So that's the reason I'm, I'm kind of trying to get that across to the listeners that I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, Oh, you can actually deadlift as much as you want. It's more that like, 
on old, your lower back is is you know susceptible to the very similar principles of training to yeah. all of the other body parts, and hence you shouldn't be treating it differently. So whether that's that you normally train a squat once a week, you can also do the same for a deadlift or whatever. Like, but but you don't just go and train everything five times a week for ten sets of workout because that would be yeah, even though pretty silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um so with that i think we've kind of dug into most of the stuff i think we wanted to get across in the podcast were there any other things that you would like to get across before we we finish up no i I think that i think that's the main stuff i think for gym goers just be skeptical of what you hear about back pain because most of the, the information out of there out there is misinformation unfortunately you know we can't trust all the information we receive whether it be from the media or whether it be from healthcare professionals or whatever, because we have a societal problem um, regarding back pain just not being understood that well. And now that the science is building, you know, we're finding a lot of the stuff we believed in the past is turning out not to be true and also a lot of it to be unhelpful. If you get um, an episode of uh, back pain in the gym, which you more than likely will if you haven't before, don't panic um you know you will be fine you will recover um if you you know if you're new to activity or unaccustomed activity you know just give yourself time to adapt to the activity in the same way as you would do with another body part so if you got you know a sore ankle or you sprained your ankle or sore quad you might like let that settle for a while but you wouldn't avoid any of those activities or you wouldn't start setting up strategies around protection um so yeah there isn't any need to be stopping the gym or doing all of these um really weird strategies to protect yourself think beyond the back as well think of other things like how you think how you feel past experiences your mood your sleep all of these how they can feed into the the back pain experience and yeah the other thing is just that back pain can come and go but very very rarely is it something that's life-threatening or that needs surgery or needs treatment at all so um i think gary it might be helpful if people have questions after the podcast you know what they can maybe put forward if they want to ask yeah for sure we could talk about other issues again because i might have been yeah. talking around in a, in a trail i hope what i've said is no not at all but if people have more maybe specific questions because again it comes back to your comment about generic versus individual information there might be a gym goer out there now that's listening in that has a very specific question that needs to be answered more specifically so yeah um yeah no that that was that was fantastic um, and i'm really happy with everything that we covered in there and maybe we will get you on again at some point and we could kind of address some other things yeah. that people might want to know after this because i think i think that would be great um because it, it is really nice that like a lot of the things that you've been talking about today probably reinforce some of the things we've discussed on the podcast. Like for the listeners, if you go back and listen to, I think we had an episode called Magic Words or Words Matter, something like that, basically related to, you know, the the beliefs that we have, how we learn different things, the words that people use when they're explaining different things yeah. to you, especially as it relates to pain. We also had that episode about manual therapy that you will, you guys will have listened to. Yeah. Um, and basically we went through, you know, some of the, the stories that people tell, how they mightn't be so true and some other issues there about pain. So hopefully this kind of gives you the, an idea of what an actual expert's perspective on all this stuff might be. And then we can maybe address further things in the future. But before we do go, Mary, I would like you to ask you one more question that I think is useful because people often look at people with PhDs or doctorates or whatever, researchers, and they're like, 
oh, they know everything. But what is the one question that you feel is currently unanswered? It can be related to what we talked about today and that you would like to answer in the next, let's say, five to 10 years. Within research. Within research, yeah. <laughs> um, or, or just in general, in, in terms of your own inquisition related to this like back pain, pain area. It doesn't have to be your own study. Yeah. How do we get people more comfortable with uncertainty, I, I would say, and that there isn't one cause or one reason for a person experiencing an issue? That if we get... Uh, so that would be my question is, how do we get people more resilient or skeptical about certain claims and how can people better manage things on their own within their own resources and resilience capacity without jumping to the need for treatment and medicalization and whatever that would be my big question for research that would be my um thing yeah and how do we better communicate messages I, I heard sam harris had a podcast recently and he was talking about with daniel kahneman about or kahneman mm. they were talking about how you communicate you know the messages about climate change and global warming you know to to the community in a way that people take certain messages seriously that's like whatever people's interests are in that area but it's how do we communicate messages in a way that the public you know understand or that would be my question as well. How do we better communicate health information in a way that it's reliable and people can trust science? Um, I don't know, are they two good goals? But yeah, that they would be my general my general <laughs> interests, yeah. Yeah, no, fantastic. I really like the way you kind of have that big picture perspective on this stuff as opposed to like some others who might have a vested interest in proving something that they already think is true before yeah. they even investigate it you know yeah. <laughs> which obviously comes back to to your idea about uncertainty that we do have to maintain uncertainty in this area so yeah. if people are interested in maybe stuff that you put out is there is there places they can go to have a look at like your well obviously they can go and just search mary o'keefe on pubmed or yeah or whatever twitter, i would say um twitter yeah mary o'keefe double 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 seven <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, yeah, I don't have my own website or anything. But yeah, Twitter is generally the, the place, even if someone wanted to ask me a question there, I'm quite responsive to replies and stuff like that. But um, And are there, are, there any, are there any other websites then that you would recommend in terms of reliable evidence-based information related to pain and stuff? Like I know the Pain Ed, Ed website yeah, is probably a good one. There's the Pain Health website, there's the Pain Ed website, um, there's obviously triage method that's not plugging you. Kind of, you probably give that more nuanced kind of um, specific in, specific information for gym goers. You kind of, you know, yeah. I guess translate it in a way that's meaningful in their environment. So yeah, that's good. I would say the pain health website, pain ed website, and that other website I was talking about, uh, which is more important than all of these websites. I think the informedhealthchoices.org, yes. where it's like, showing you you know key concepts to assess treatment um, claims and claims about treatments and tests and whatever i think you know uh, starting there when you go to a website then you're better able to kind of assess whether you know the evident the, the information there is you know trustworthy or not super so for anyone that didn't catch that that's mary o'keefe 007 on twitter um so you can go follow her see what she's sharing and all that sort of stuff and on that note we will 
end the podcast, guys. And next week, we will be hopefully back with Mr. Paddy Farrell again. Um, and maybe we'll get Mary on again in the future. So thanks very much, Mary. And we will see you guys next week.